This is episode 61 of Cinescope, and communism is just a red herring. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Patrick Hicks to talk about one of our favorite films, Clue. Patrick, how are you doing tonight? I am good, Chad. It's good to be back on with you once again. I always love coming on. Yes, sir. You were a blast on at the beginning of the year for Rocky, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a great time with that. And now we're talking about something a little bit sillier and yes. <laughs> uh, seasonally appropriate. It is the first week of October. And so I thought, hey, let's do a sort of pseudo scary horror movie. Or at least one that takes place in a weird house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this has always been one of my favorite comedies and I'm excited to talk about it. But before we do, how about you reintroduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do anything like that. I am a multimedia designer by day and I'm a podcaster by night. I co-host the Feelin' Film podcast at, that we where we talk about movies as they affect us emotionally and what kind of emotional takeaway that we get when we experience the the movies that um, that we cover. And we've been around for gosh, almost a year and a half now, which is kind of crazy, and uh, we've covered everything from Batman v Superman to recently we just dropped an episode on Blade Runner actually. So we cover new stuff, we cover old stuff, but we cover anything that we know is going to give us some kind of emotional reaction because as we say on our show, every movie makes us feel something even if we don't like it. That last part was mine. That's not necessarily part of the slogan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and what's cool is that you and I have actually met in person since the last time you were on Cinescope. So this it's like a new dynamic. It really is. In fact, um, Aaron, my co-host and I were talking about uh, some of the highlights from the year that we're going to bring up on our end of year special. And that's definitely going to make the cut, the chance that we got to actually meet face to face with another podcaster in our community, as well as actually get to enjoy a movie together. So it was a fantastic highlight for 2017 for me, for sure. Yes, and we recorded an episode together in person at a Starbucks, (laughs) which was a different experience, Uh, but we talked about Baby Driver together, and that's on the Feelin' Film podcast feed, so definitely go check that out to listen to the three of us talking about a movie fresh out of the theater, and uh, it was a good time. Yep. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our movie. Are you ready? I am. I'm ready. Okay, so we're talking about Clue, which was released on December 13th of 1985, It was directed by Jonathan Lynn, who also directed Nuns on the Run, My Cousin Vinny, The Distinguished (laughs) Gentleman, and The Fighting Temptation. It was written by Lynn, as well as John Landis, and based on the original board game Cluedo by the the Parker Brothers, or whoever the original UK publisher was, I believe. And the music is by John Morris, who actually composed almost all of uh, Mel Brooks films. So the producers, Young Frankenstein, <laughs> Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, uh, as well as Dirty Dancing and Life Stinks. So uh, he's got a he's got some comedy chops, and they definitely come in handy here. Yeah, and when it when it comes to a movie like this, um, hearing you say that does not surprise me with the way this movie uses comedy uh, as a whole. So it uh, it both surprised me when you said that, and then it made me go. Yeah, that completely makes sense that he was behind (laughs) all the Mel Brooks movies. 
The movie stars Tim Curry, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Eileen Brennan, Madeline Kahn, Leslie Ann Warren, Colleen Camp, Lee Ving, Bill Henderson, Jane Weedlin, Jeffrey Kramer, Kelly Nakahara, and Howard Hesman. Uh, since it's a pretty contained cast, I just felt it right to name everybody. So that's yeah. everybody. Now, as we always start off, what was your first experience that you remember with this movie? This was a movie that I remember watching at a friend's house when I was either in junior high or high school. I want to say junior high because that was when it was still cool to spend the night with somebody when you weren't hanging out at the mall or going to the skating rink as we were prone to do. But my friend's older sister brought this thing home from the movie store and she popped it in and I was like, what is this craziness? Is this, what are you doing? A video game or not video game, but a board game movie. And this was my first real introduction into Tim Curry as an actor. And I remember just really enjoying it the first time around. And then I watched it again several years later. I think while I was in college, I remember seeing it kind of pop up on television, I guess around the time around October to kind of celebrate the, the, the month of spookiness and just kind of reimagining myself back at my friend's house, uh, spending the night with them. And I just fell in love with it all over again. I ended up buying it uh, to own. And so when you asked me to come on and actually um, talk about it, I was like, absolutely. What a great reason to watch this yet again. And it didn't disappoint. It was my first time watching in a few years as well. And I don't remember the first time I watched this movie. I don't even know what the circumstances would have been. Um, but as everybody knows, I am a huge Back to the Future fan and that I first saw that when I was around age 10 or so, and I've been a monstrous Christopher Lloyd fan since. And so I don't think it would have been too long after age 10 seeing Back to the Future that I would have seen Clue, uh, just because it was another Christopher Lloyd film to devour. And so I've I've always thought it was hilarious. It's one of my all-time favorite comedies. It, it's funny without being raunchy. That's what I. That's the problem I have with so many modern-day comedies is that it it, mm -hmm. it just ups the raunch factor so high. And you know sometimes you want a kind of raunchy movie at least, but this one it's nice that it's actually pretty family-friendly as far as the jokes go and uh, the the situations on screen. There are some some adult moments, but overall it's not uh, too far in any one direction. Yeah, this is a type of comedy that, you know, like you, I'm I'm a fan of smart comedy, and I feel like this movie fits into that genre where it doesn't have to, it really relies heavily on dialogue, and dialogue that is somewhat subtle, somewhat corny, but not too much in any big direction. Like, it's not overly corny, it's not overly... Uh, sophisticated or overly anything. It's just really kind of uh, the moment that they get you um, with one joke, then they're dropping into something else. And it fits into what I think is just a, a wide gamut of films, uh, such as the, the the Mel Brooks movies, you know, your Spaceballs, your Blazing Saddles, your Young Frankenstein. And this is one that would be akin to that, that world of comedy where you have um, – so many just different jokes that are driven by dialogue, but then they're offset with some physical comedy here and there. And I think it's just, it's very, um, how do I, it's, it's very well written. It's well, just, it's, it's done with purpose and it doesn't feel like it's going for the cheap gag. You know, it feels like it's very, but it feels simple at the same time. And that's what I think I enjoy about the, uh, about the humor of it, about the comedy. 
it starts with the intro of the film and we'll go ahead and transition into talking story uh the intro of the film it, it's it's dark uh it's stormy we got this sort of creepy music going it, it is fun though but it, it's dark there's clouds there's storm there's uh cars driving ominously through these creepy locations we see this giant mansion on the hill um you could almost take this movie seriously all the way up until the point uh, when Wadsworth steps in the dog poop outside yeah. on the front porch. <laughs> yeah. Up to that point, there's these, there's these big, tough dogs, and he tosses them giant hunks of meat because they're scary, and that keeps them at bay, and he loosens their chains or tightens I don't know. He adjusts their chains, and then as he's heading his making his way inside he steps in dog poop and that that it just slows it down all of a sudden like oh wait did i just oh crap i just stepped in dog crap <laughs> and then the, the <laughs> jokes just start from there and that's one of the simple right. physical gags throughout the script and it's one that the that the the director uh, or whoever this whole crew uh whole creative team kind of trust the audience to kind of accept it because yes you're right up until that point I, you know, we we think we're kind of in for maybe a mystery, maybe a horror or something like that. It's that, I mean, it's that very typical dark and stormy night. Uh, there's rain everywhere. Everything's ominous. And then the moment that Wadsworth steps in that poo, you're going, oh, so we might be in for something a little different. But what sells it is when each person that he that he greets at the door makes that smelling uh, reaction <laughs> to it. Like they think they've stepped in it. And at that point, as an audience, you're going okay, I think I know what kind of movie we're in for. And then from there, you just kind of settle in and go, I'm excited about this. Because if you're familiar with the game, you know that it's a mystery. You know that it's a crime story. You know that there's a lot of, it could be taken in one of many directions. And I love the fact that they took this property and made it what they did. That they did create some mystery. They did create some drama, but it was really all tied together by this physical and verbal comedy, which really just made it unique. And more physical comedy throughout the whole script. You've got stuff like Colonel Mustard having the door that swings open into him when Wadsworth lets in more people into the library or right. all of the various running scenes where you're, you're the camera is fixed in a doorway and you just see the whole company running, pa running past it um, mm -hmm. back and forth several times throughout the whole film. There's lots of running for something that takes place in a single inside location. Um, Absolutely. And if you pay attention in those scenes, as is important in the, the, the endings, there's always clever there's always somebody missing in one or two of those scenes uh, you just have mm -hmm. to pay attention if you don't pay attention you just accept oh everybody must be there because they're yeah. all there but if you really watch for it you can start getting those hints early on hey where's professor plum in this scene hey where's miss scarlet in this scene where's miss peacock um it's just stuff that you take for granted and it's, it's a really subtle thing but then you have stuff like the chandelier falling multiple times or um, when Wadsworth tries to break down the door to the lounge and completely fails and collapses onto the hall floor. Uh, there, there's just so much good physical comedy that doesn't fall into slapstick, I don't think. It's never slapstick. It's just good, smart. I, I don't know if you can have smart physical comedy, but if <laughs> if you could, I think this this film fits the bill. I think you would call it restrained. I think the physical comedy could be taken... And even the dialogue, you know, both those elements of comedy could have been taken in such extreme ways. Um, I think a lot of movies like um, like The Naked Gun or Hot Shots, those movies that really rely heavily on the same style, 
but in a lot of ways it feels a little bit borderline stupid. Like you're getting, okay, corny, corny. You're getting to a place where you're like, okay, stop with the gags. And I enjoyed those movies, but there's something about Clue that really makes it stand out. And part of it, I think, is the restraint with the comedy, but it's that restraint intermixed with an actually, well, pretty interesting story. I mean, watching it this time around, I began to think, you know what? This is a pretty good story. There's a there's a little bit of mystery here. It's a it's a really is. It's a whodunit. And of course, I should be like, wow, Captain Obvious. Yes, the whole point of the game is to try to figure out who killed who, where, and with what. And I, I shouldn't be surprised at the fact that this is what the story surrounded. But the fact that clues, not to be you know punny, but I guess yeah, whatever, uh, are planted throughout the film, as you mentioned you get into a certain scene and you notice that somebody's missing. There's this fascination with twists that we have in, in modern films, particularly with like M. Night Shyamalan's where we're waiting, we have to watch the movie again to kind of capture all the clues. This has that. And this has this at a time, this is 1985 when this movie came out. So to be able to capture not only the comedy that I personally enjoy, but to also wrap it up in a story that is pretty intriguing and allows you to become the detective along with these six or seven other people is really, really genius. And I think that's why the comedy works is because it's not relying. It's not the thing that the movie's relying on. It's a combination of that and the overall mystery of the story itself. It, it alternates between the semi-serious murder mystery and then the complete farce. It's, it's exactly. a great mix between exactly. the two, uh, mm-hmm. which is, perfect because again this is based on a board game you can't take a movie that is based on a board game overly seriously it's just not gonna go well for you and so the fact that you have these great character actors like eileen brennan and christopher lloyd and heck tim curry i mean this movie would not work without tim curry it is so fantastic that they are able to mix both the serious and the non-serious because again, it's based on a board game and the Mm -hmm. reveal of all of the board game elements throughout the film. It's not just like they loosely based it. They they took the weapons out of the game. They took Mm -hmm. the who did it, where they did it and with what they did it. Uh, All of that is straight from the board game, but it doesn't feel like, Oh, it's based on a board game. So we just have to put these elements in. Mm -hmm. I, Again, I'm not trying to overanalyze a comedy like this, but I, I believe the the placement of those objects, and I believe uh, the the whole trying to figure out who did what of it all as well. Yeah, I mean, when you when it comes down to it, you have I would love to have been in the writers' room when this whole idea came up, and you say, okay, we have this board game. What I think is great about this is I would imagine that this creative team said, what is the game about? What are the who are the central characters? Not only the actual like people, but also the um, the weapons used. And how can we do this in a way that doesn't just pay homage to the to the board? I keep saying video game to the board game, but also gives us some logical sense. And I think that's just good storytelling right there, because what they have is a skeleton based on the objective of the board game, and they've infused it with dialogue. They've infused it with. Um, an overall narrative that still takes creativity. I think that's one thing that's lacking when we get from when we take video games and we try to adapt them to uh, to a film is because the video games themselves have a some of them have a decent enough story that trying to adapt them to a to the film isn't as digestible. I think board games and particularly 
clue has enough gaps in it that you can fill those in and make it interesting because we know enough about the board game to say, here are the characters, here are the weapons, here are the rooms. And that's exactly what they took. And they just kind of infused the dialogue and the overall narrative by using literally using these pieces to help tell their story. Um, I, I definitely, if I ever play clue again, I'm not going to think of it the same way. I'm always going to picture and wonder where Wadsworth is because <laughs> you're right. I mean, Tim Curry's fantastic in this, but each character in there um, allows the, the idea of those, of those original characters from the board game to come alive for me. And so I think the story itself is pretty strong. It doesn't feel like it's a ripoff of anything. It doesn't feel like it's a board game trying to be any more than it is. I think it's a, a movie that uses a board game as its starting point and then kind of launches from there. And just like the game, we end with one person explaining everything, who did it, where they did it, and what they did it with. And that yep. character is Wadsworth. And what a fantastic scene that all is, where he's running back and forth, and he's imitating <laughs> characters, and he's uh, taking everybody through step-by-step step of the evening. It is mm -hmm. such a fun scene. It's straight out of the board game. And what a great location they've put together for us that emulates the board game where you have uh, mm -hmm. all these very different locations that are spread out enough that characters can split up. They can find secret passages and all these things. And it, it's, it's just a really good set. The The house itself is it's creepy. It has the, the room straight out of the board game and it allows the level of intrigue necessary for a murder mystery. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that the entire house was built and used at for this for this movie and the only room that was used that wasn't actually within the house was the ballroom. I think that was on a separate like sound stage somewhere, but everything else was actually on location at this on the set of this house. And and that that just that amazes me that you go to so much detail to make sure that the even the set itself becomes a cast member because it is. I mean, it's you know, you're talking about the different rooms and to be familiar enough with the board game to see these rooms like as they were, as you imagine them is just great. And I think just like the weapons and just like the, the, the characters, the, the house itself becomes another both um, kind of callback or nostalgic or whatever, or um, homage, but also an important piece of the story. And I thought they used it really, really well. Now let's walk through each of our characters, starting with Wadsworth. So, We've already said how fantastic Tim Curry is. What do you have to say more about him or his character? Well, let me let me let me start by saying I recently watched it and if you've listened to our minisode on it, you know that I watched about half of it because my eyes were covered during all the scary parts. <laughs> and I say that because you know, it the the main character in there is Pennywise the clown and he, I'm familiar with him because I grew up watching the 1990 miniseries of Stephen King's It that came on television where Pennywise was played by Tim Curry. So to watch this and remember him as both Wadsworth and then kind of recall him back as Pennywise, first of all, let me just say that Tim Curry is a fantastic character actor. I think he is just amazing in terms of the way he does comedy. Because even as Pennywise, he does comedy in a way that's sadistic and you know, whatever. And if you've seen that, you can agree with me or disagree with me. But Wadsworth and what he brings to that character just makes me smile. 
he feels his character feels completely in control the whole time except when he's freaking out but when he freaks out those i think are probably my favorite like physical comedy moments when he says i'm not shouting okay i am shouting but it's because you know or when he says something like like i was standing at the door i know because i was there you know things like that just little <laughs> little one liners that he just sort of i don't know if you call them dad jokes or puns or whatever but i think the way in which he delivers all of his lines i don't think this movie would have been the same without him not only wadsworth but tim curry playing him i can't imagine somebody else playing someone as eccentric and at the same time as in control as wadsworth that whole narrative when he explains and is running them through the house to me if we had a on our show we have a a, mo- a thing on our show called the connecting point, which is the moment in the film that we connect to the most. That would have been it because in that moment he was doing exactly what the board game does is explain to you all those things. And he's doing it in a way that is so entertaining that I couldn't stop smiling. So I think he is definitely the glue that holds this whole crew together. And ironically, if I'm remember correctly, he's not a character in the game. Like he is, I don't believe the butler is a character. Um, and I could be wrong, but um, I think that's even cooler. The fact that a made up character is the one that's actually keeping all these other characters centralized. You, no, you're right. He isn't in the game. As far as I know, I am pretty sure it's just the, the color characters in Peacock. Um, but Tim Curry's physicality is really unique in that he just sort of has this sort of uneasiness look about him. Like he yeah. looking at him in certain scenes almost makes you uncomfortable just because he's got that sort of look in his eye and uh, the, the shape <laughs> of his face in certain ways. And I don't mean that as a, a, a slight against him. It just works really well in his favor. But then he does have the really funny uh, physical comedy when he needs it as well. Um, mm-hmm. The attention to detail whenever he is running back and forth, explaining the evening, imitating the actions of characters like uh, Peacock Scream or mm-hmm. Mr. Or, or, uh, Mr. Green's I had to stop her screaming or when he enacts the kills with the weapons. Uh, all of that kind of <laughs> stuff is so funny. And uh, throwing throwing Mr. Green around as if he was Mr. Body or uh, the whole don't be ridiculous. If I was a murderer, why would I reveal to you how I did it? Quote. <laughs> <laughs> he's so fun. He is like he, just like you said, he's so in control of the evening and every time Tim Curry is on the on the screen, he is in control of my attention. Mhm. Now, let's just walk through these other characters in basically order of appearance. Um Mustard by Martin Mull. Colonel Mustard. Right. So Martin Mull, the my most famous connection with him is in Mr. Mom where he plays a uh, the sort of the antagonist of the, of the movie. And I think sometimes I I see him as a little bit underrated because I've not seen him in a lot of stuff, but everything that I have seen him in, he seems to pull off this nice little straight, like if there's a funny man and a straight guy, I think like he would play a really good straight man. And he I think from the very beginning, his character really pulls off the sense of uptightness. And then as we get to know him more and we realize, yeah, he's military, he sort of embodies that in a in a very, I don't want to say stereotypical way, but in a way that's very kind of over the top, uh, but not so over the top that it feels just obnoxious. And so by the end of the by the end of the movie, when I think he's 
at one point, I think he's uh, always slapping. Maybe he slaps uh, Miss Peacock or something. He says, you know, get, get, you know, get yourself together, and he slaps her. I think that while he's not the strongest character for me in terms of his bringing the funny, I think what he does is he fits really nicely for his character in the in the film. He's so great at playing both or playing either surprised or scared. Um, mm-hmm. And he's not the smartest guy in the cast either. He's a little bit slow. He is capable of taking charge because of his military background. But there's this one scene where, well, in the scene where uh, Wadsworth is explaining everything, he pauses and he says, so whoever knew the cook was involved killed her? Like, it, he he's having a hard time connecting the dots, but he's getting there <laughs> and he gets there eventually. And then he yeah. looks so proud of himself when Wadsworth says, precisely. <laughs> and he, he just looks around like, hey, guys, I figured it out. But everybody else has been there for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's funny in that sense yes he's the straight man yes he's not the one uh telling jokes every time or cracking one-liners but he it's his simplicity as far as uh how he reacts to things Mm -hmm. i suppose is the way to put it uh that makes him so funny and where i know martin most from is from i think sabrina the teenage witch the tv series with melissa joan hart he was uh, one of her teachers so that's where I know him most from. So I always it's it's funny looking at this cast list because Christopher Lloyd, I know from Back to the Future, mm-hmm. Martin Mull, I knew from Sabrina, uh, Tim Curry, I first knew from Muppet Treasure Island, where he plays Long John Silver. I remember um, that. Yeah, I think that's all the ones I was familiar with as a kid, at least. He was always one of my three characters that I sort of connected with a little bit more just because I was familiar with him outside of this film. And you know, like I said, he was my my only other I can't think of any other movies offhand, but the only other movie I remember him very familiarly uh, was uh, Mr. Mom and playing uh, playing the boss who he comes across in that kind of that same way. He's a little bit more of a chauvinist, but I feel like he's faking it in Mr. Mom. And that may be because of my his influence that I have uh, of him in Clue, where he's just like I'm picturing a scared guy trying to come off as a show, you know, a, a macho dude. And it just doesn't work. And it, he can clearly be seen right through. Yeah, he's a little bit bumbling in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Mrs. White, who comes in dressed in all black. She's got this like uh, lace veil over her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she opens her coat and it's a flash of white on the inside. So it's like, <laughs> why am I called Mrs. White? And then she opens her coat and hey, maybe that's part of it. Uh, although there's really not a whole lot of association between name and personality and color. Um mm-hmm. But that was a, a funny contrast where she walks in, she's Mrs. White, and then she is all in black. Um, yeah. But she is an interesting character in that she presumably killed her husband or husbands. She's on her fifth one. She has the quote, husband should be like Kleenex, soft, strong, and disposable. <laughs> and <laughs> so the, the whole lie. movie, you have these guys who are a little bit scared to be alone with her. Uh uh, Wadsworth says no man in his right mind would be alone with you uh, because she has this history of uh, getting a husband and something mysterious happening to him before she moves on to the next one. Yeah, I absolutely adored her character. I thought, especially near the end where she was getting flustered, trying to explain <laughs> herself. And she was like the fl- flame flames and and oh and i i can't just the way in which she <laughs> communicates that and uses her hands 
I thought that was my favorite moment with her because the rest of the time she feels very mysterious. I mean, we find out about her history and it kind of increases her intrigue, but then she breaks down into this kind of soft-spoken, almost like she's breaking character. Like I, I can't, I'm trying to explain, I can't explain myself and I'm just, I, 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 and then she actually even doesn't even get to explain it because she's just trailing off. And I thought that was just so fantastic. That's one of the few things I remember with subsequent viewings. Like, oh, I'm looking forward to that line right there because I know that that's always going to make me laugh. But I adored her uh, for that moment, but also for the fact that she has a little bit of depth to her character and we find out a little bit more. And just how nonchalant she is about the deaths of her husbands. I mean, just... (laughs) And I think that's what this movie does really well is you, you take these situations that these characters are in and they're all being blackmailed and you could have taken that idea and made it really dark and they provide so much levity within the film that they bring about the sense of almost like nonchalantness to each character i think it's even um uh, leslie ann warren's character miss scarlet she basically says oh i know i i know why i'm being blackmailed i I have no problem admitting that (laughs) and it's like she has no apologies for it but I think these other guys, even if they're not, if they don't have that kind of attitude, I think that the whole way in which their situations are presented feels very digestible. It doesn't feel like it's shock and awe. It feels more like it's intrigue, but with a little bit of humor added to it. And I think Mrs. White's character uh, in particular kind of personifies that in a lot of ways. And she elicits a strong response from the other males when she first describes what happened to her husband, the de- the death that she's being blackmailed for. Uh, she says, you know, his head was, fa- he was found with his head cut off and his, his, you know, and the three guys <laughs> sitting down all cross their legs at the same time as if to protect <laughs> so themselves. <good>. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, good. and then we're introduced to Scarlet and Plum at basically the same time. Scarlet mm-hmm. is Leslie Ann Warren's character. Professor Plum is Christopher Lloyd's character. And they become a little bit of a pair, uh, not because Scarlet wants to be, but because Plum is a little bit of a creep. Um, <laughs> but but Scarlet is strong and she's independent and she's bold. She she's a little bit more brash, isn't the word exactly, but sort of along that line of thought, where she she's sort of lewd in a certain sense. I mean, she runs a, a an escort service, basically mm-hmm. uh, a hotel escort service, and she's proud of it. Um, and she isn't going to let anybody take advantage of her. She is her own woman. And who cares what anybody else thinks of what she does with her business? I love Leslie Ann Warren as an actress. I saw her for the first time as, um, I don't remember her character's name, but, um, but she, uh, she was in the movie Victor Victoria. And she was this, she played a similar character in that she was very much not risque, but she was very comfortable in her skin as a woman and she had no problem kind of flaunting what she had. And I think she brings that same kind of character to this movie where it's, I love the strength of her character. I love the fact that she's not, she's not meek, that she's very strong and that it doesn't surprise me that she's running this uh, escort service and that she's completely unapologetic about it. I think that, she is an actress. The, the movies that I've seen her in, uh, which again, like Martin Muller, not very many, she always plays a strong character. And I think that's good because, you know, she doesn't, 
I think her unapologetic nature in this movie helps to round out the other women in here who are eccentric in their own ways, but none of them feel very, I mean, I guess Mrs. White is, is strong, but I think Miss Scarlet feels very much like an unapologetic strength. Like, and, and I think that's what I enjoy about Leslie Ann Warren, Warren's performance is that she brings that kind of power to the group, which makes the, well, one of the endings to the movie work so well and believable, but, um, which we can get into in a little bit, but I think she's, well, I absolutely adore Miss, uh, Miss, Mrs. White. I think, uh, Leslie Ann Warren is my, probably my favorite female actress of, of the, of the cast. I think you nailed her character with the word risque because she's not like lewd. Lewd was the wrong word. Brash isn't the right word. Risque is great because, uh, she is as a woman comfortable in her skin and with what she does in life. So you nailed it. And then, like I said, Professor Plum is a little bit of a creeper. Uh, we first are introduced to him when he gives Miss Scarlet a ride after her car is broken down and he becomes sort of weirdly attached to her. Um, <laughs> and like she she first admits to the escort service and he walks over. Oh, what's the number? Like, I'm very interested in the service you provide. Uh, give me the number <laughs> so that I can go participate. And the whole rest of the movie is him basically making moves on the other women. Yeah. Uh, he, and and he's a doctor who lost his license because he had an affair with one of his patients. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's not a good guy. <laughs> he, no. He's done some bad things and he's continuing to do bad things. But uh, it, it's it's a funny contrast for Christopher Lloyd from a lot of the other characters he plays. It's mm -hmm. not it's not it's not Duck Brown, but it's also not Judge Doom. It's somewhere in the middle. Right. And and I think that that's what tells me about his range as an actor in that all three of those roles that you mentioned, uh, you know, Professor Plum, Doom, and, uh, and, and Doc Brown all bring a different kind of comedy to that, but they all exhibit his ability as a comedic actor to be able to bring funny at different levels. And one is sadistic, one is eccentric, and one is borderline perverted, <laughs> I guess is the word. <laughs> But I think one of the, my favorite lines is when they're in the kitchen and Wadsworth is cutting the uh, cutting the matches, and they're all you know draw, essentially drawing mat, matchsticks. Uh, and they're all, first of all just them matching up their links with each other. I think is fantastic. And then I think he goes yeah he goes over to Miss Miss Mrs Peacock and he goes, looks like it's you and me sister. And I'm thinking. Gosh, even the least attractive woman you're hitting on, what are you doing? I mean, are you just that lonely? What's I think the, the exact word he uses is honey bunch. <laughs> honey bunch. That's right. Honey bunch. It's so good. And I think that he just sells that borderline creeper character in a way that is, again, like the rest of this movie, you could take it seriously if you wanted to, but they bring it back with that line. Like that line brings it back to a place where you're going, I can laugh at his creepiness because I know they're just sort of being tongue in cheek about it all. So yeah, he's great. Now my favorite character aside from Wadsworth is Mr. Green played by Michael McKean and Michael McKean is not an actor I was familiar with outside of this movie until recently when he popped up playing uh, Saul Goodman's brother in Better Call Saul on AMC, the Breaking Bad spinoff. And he is fantastic in that show, by the way. It's very much not a comedy, but uh, he's great in it. And it 
amazed me looking back uh, and discovering, oh, that's the guy from Clue. And Mr. Green is such a fun character because he's a klutz. Like the first time we meet him, he spills champagne all over Peacock. And then right after that, he spills soup on Miss Scarlet. And he's he's uh, his secret is that he's a homosexual in a time when it was a really big deal. This is the 50s. It, that was unheard of. Or it, when it was heard of, it was severely frowned upon. And it that that's sort of the running gag in the film. After he admits that, he goes and he sits back down next to Professor Plum. And Professor Plum's like, uh, I'm going to move over here now. You just see the, the level of discomfort. <laughs> Um, but he's the most, he's a character that is most inclined to be distressed. Um, when he first shows up on the doorstep and Wadsworth answers the door, uh, Wadsworth tells the dogs to sit down and Mr. Green thinks he means him. And so he immediately has a seat on the bench right outside the door. He says, not you. (laughs) He's just such a fun character. And he plays, I'm like you, I, I knew him from this movie but I didn't know I didn't get familiar with him until later movies. He was in all the, he's in all the Christopher guest movies, like a mighty wind. This is spinal tap, all the mockumentaries. I don't know if you're familiar with those, just really, uh, really dry, uh, uh, narrative deliver or dialogue delivery, just very straight faced. And he is the way he delivers comedy in those movies is, similar to how he does it in here, but with more eccentricness. And I think that from the very beginning, uh, I think it's fantastic from the very beginning when he is, you know, when Wadsworth tells the dogs to sit and he does, it sets you up for the type of character that you're going to be, be hanging out with for the next hour and a half. This guy who, you know, he's got his glasses and I want to, I want to believe that he's always pushing on the little, you know, in the middle of them to kind of push them up because they're always falling down. One of my favorite lines is when, um, when Yvette is, you know, in her, her it just it's outrageous French accent is going, but they must go upstairs and who is going to go with me? And of course, you know, Professor Plum's like, I will. And uh, Carmel's like, I will. And Mr. Green goes, I'm out. You know, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> and it's just so funny because you you wouldn't i mean that joke wouldn't be nearly as funny had he not revealed that that he was gay you know 2 minutes before and what i what i like about that though is that you know in a time when that wasn't okay or that wasn't necessarily the norm they didn't try to rub it in the your audience the audience's face it didn't become like the main point of the movie it didn't become even a strong point of the movie it actually uh, based on one of the endings actually became sort of a, uh, you know, a, the, a, a beginning, it became the setup to a punchline. So like the last line of the movie, he goes, he goes, all right, and I'm out and I'm going to go have sex with my wife, you know, <laughs> because you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't get, I mean, again, you would not think that's funny unless you had the setup early on in the movie. And so, his comedy is something that I've gotten to become familiar with. He's actually, I don't know if you're familiar with Smallville, if you're a Superman fan, but he actually plays Perry White in a couple of the episodes. So he's a character that, or he's an actor that I think is is a character actor. I think he, I have not seen Better Call Saul, so I can't obviously account for his performance there, but I'll trust you that it was really good. But I think any role that he plays, I've never, that I've seen him in, I've never been disappointed in 
in, in what he brings to the table. Yeah, like I said, he's my favorite character aside from Wadsworth. Um, his 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 catchphrase, well, I didn't do it <laughs> all throughout the film, <laughs> makes me laugh every time. And just to finish up talking about him, Michael McKean, yes, Better Call Saul is really the only thing I've seen him in aside from this movie. And if by the end of this series run, he doesn't get an Emmy for it, then something's wrong. Like, it's that good. So <laughs> go check out Better Call Saul for sure. Um but anyways, the last main character we have, aside from Yvette, is Mrs. Peacock, who notably is the only one who doesn't have a color for a name. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, likewise, is the one who most aligns with her name. <laughs> yeah, that's she, for sure. Her name's Peacock, and she has all these feathers and decorations in this headdress that she's wearing, and she's easily flustered, and she, mm-hmm. she talks incessantly to avoid silence, and she's constantly screaming at this situation, this situation. Oh, no, the cognac might be poisoned. <laughs> and it, it she's just a almost obnoxious well she is definitely an obnoxious character um mm-hmm. who is able to turn on like uh the 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 flip of a coin where one minute she's hysterical the next minute she's a little bit more serious uh at the end when the the there've been six murders already and then the doorbell rings again she says well they have to go away they're going to get <laughs> murdered <laughs> <laughs> she's so insistent that whoever shows up is going to die. And so she's yeah. trying to, to wave him off. And then uh, in that second ending, when she is and she, when she ends up being the one who killed everybody or yeah, when she ends up being the one who killed everybody, she automatically is a completely different character. She's no longer flustered. She is totally in control of the moment mm-hmm. and you better watch out because I'll kill all of you. Like I killed everybody else. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't care for that ending because of that because of her sharp turn and I get that I get her sharp turn and how you have to sell her kind of being deceptive and playing playing this role but it kind of took away from the fact that I loved her eccentricness so much and seeing the 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 moment that began my kind of introduction into that with her whole what felt like a five minute monologue at the dinner table, trying to get the conversation <laughs> started and then finishing up with, and this is still, Oh, this is one of my favorite recipes. And I, I've known people like that. I've been people like that who just continue to talk and talk and talk because they're nervous and they don't give anybody else a chance to speak because they're just afraid that if they stop talking, they're just, you know, say I'm doing it right now, that kind of thing. So I think when you get to that point where she does that turn on a dime personality shift, because she's like, I'm not that person it kind of it kind of disappointed me a little bit um and of course i was reinvigorated when the third ending happened cuz i was like okay cool i can keep my mrs peacock eccentricness character intact um i thought that that's what of all the characters i think what she what she adds to the to the story is the um, reaction of someone that you just want to slap every once in a while. I mean, I think you need a character <laughs> like that where you're just like, shut up, you know, and just slap her. And I think a couple of times she did get hit, but you need characters like that to, I think, I don't know when you have an ensemble of, of characters, the, the challenge is to make sure that they all feel different from each other, but that they all flow together. And I think what she does is she lives on the extreme version of the attitude of like all these characters. And so she's kind of like the outlier on one end, whereas I think maybe Mrs. White is on the 
other side of the more kind of subdued and you, you have these little intricacies of personalities in between. And so I think without Mrs. Peacock, you wouldn't have deflating levity moments uh, like you would and you wouldn't have those moments where you're mentally just wanting to slap her and say, okay, let's get back to normal. And, uh, and I like that. You mentioned that you don't like her ending very much. And honestly, I don't like either of the first two endings all that much um, because I don't really get the sense that Scarlet or Peacock are the kind that would go and kill everybody, mm-hmm. which is why I really like the third ending, the this is how it really happened ending as the movie presents it. If you watch all three mm-hmm. um, where everybody did something except for Mr. Gree, because I didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, <laughs> it's true to his character. And, and that feels true to everybody else's characters as well is nobody right. here is ruthless. Everybody just does a little bit like everybody. They, they take care of the person that's blackmailing them and they move on. And right. it, it almost adds another layer of comedy because the whole movie, everybody's freaking out about possibly getting killed when they split up into partners when really every single one of them was paired with another murderer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at that ending and I think from a, from a writing standpoint that who, when they started coming up with these alternate endings, I would imagine they came up with that one first because that one felt the most fleshed out. It felt like it gave tribute to every character instead of putting the uh, putting the um, the spotlight on one, even though Wadsworth was kind of behind the whole thing, that was true to the whole story because he was the central figure throughout the story. So it made perfect sense for him to be the real Mr. Body and that Mr. Body was his butler. But at the same time, you're right. When you give every character an opportunity to be the murderer in the same situation... I think that is what makes that ending so strong. Um, I didn't. I mean, I didn't care for the peacock ending. I thought the I thought the scarlet ending was good only because of what I said earlier about her character. I think that she would have had the most. If you didn't have the third one, I think she would have had the most um, believable motive to uh, to do what they eventually portrayed as not being true, but what happened. But I agree with you. I think the third one is above and beyond the best because it gives everybody an opportunity to shine as a, both a murderer and a and a victim. And um, and I, yeah, it was, it, it's it's my favorite too. Yeah, with Wadsworth getting involved and reveal. Yeah, with Wadsworth getting involved and then the reveal of Mister Green as one an FBI agent and two not homosexual. Uh, th- that's just a, a really fun ending. Now, the other couple of characters, we have uh, Yvette, who, as you mentioned, has that ridiculous French accent, uh, which we do learn is fake in one of the, or we do learn is fake in the mm-hmm. the sequence where there's three murders in quick succession, and she's one of them. Um, she, she's fine. I mean, she's fine. Uh, she fulfills her purpose. Uh, so <laughs> I guess that's really all that can truly be said about her. Do you have anything else to say about Yvette? She's a serviceable character, and I think I read some of the trivia and how the director was really unapologetic about why he cast her. And, you know, it's pretty obvious why she was put in there because, you know, we'll just leave it at that. But I think that you needed you needed a body to kill. You needed somebody to kill off. And, you know, I think I think she adds a little bit of of humor to the overall narrative. But, yeah, she's definitely serviceable and 
And when she's killed off, I didn't cry any tears. <laughs> no. And then we have the cook and we have the motorist and we have uh, the singing telegram girl who, oh, poor singing telegram girl. She's so cute. And then she's just automatically shot down. Doesn't even get to finish the telegram. How sad. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> and then uh, the cop has uh, a couple of funny moments where he, one, gets to... Um, where he threatens everybody about charging them because he's been locked in the library and they get the phone call from J. Edgar Hoover. And so he says, I'm going to charge you for obstructing a police officer in the line of duty. And I'm going to charge you for this and that and for murder. And they open the door. What do you mean murder? He said, I just said that so you'd open the door. <laughs> Doesn't realize how on the on the nail uh, he, he got with that one. And then uh, how he asks everybody to give him a tour. Like, what's going on here? There's something strange. I need to see everywhere. And so they basically have to weekend at Bernie's the dead bodies <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so that so funny. Uh, it, it's believable to this cop so that they don't get in trouble. Uh, so I, I like the cop for that reason. But really, oh, all I, the other yeah, characters are just sort of not throwaways, but they don't serve a whole lot of extra purpose except to die. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, you don't need to... You don't need to to dwell too much on them. Uh, I especially like that scene with the cop going through each each room and seeing the uh, the the weekend at Bernie's thing play out. Especially with um with the uh, with the motorist. I mean, he looked drunk, you know, with the hat and everything. I thought that was great. But I, lo I love it with Mr. Green and uh, and Wadsworth. You know, Wadsworth doesn't know what the cops just seen, and so he's like. Wait, it's okay. You're you're not surprised. He goes, no, nothing, nothing you're doing in here is illegal. And so you had this thing in your head, like Wadsworth thinks he's seen murders, and and he doesn't know that he's just seen adults having a good time. And I thought that scene was just great because Wadsworth's facial expression is like, are you nuts? What are you, what kind of cop are you, basically? And he goes, no, it's just good, clean fun. You know, yeah, you it's America. This is a free country. I didn't know it's it was like, that free. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was so good. That's so great. <laughs> uh, well, what do you have to say about uh, John Morris's score for this film? You know, I it, it's one of those that does exactly what it's intended to do. It amps up at the right moments. It's very much a quote stereotypical scary movie score. Like when when there's tension, you hear the the violins and you hear just the tension, tension, you know, tense music. And at other times it's not there when the dialogue is pretty heavy. So I thought, I thought it was great. It wasn't, nothing, it wasn't anything that stood out to me. I didn't really kind of have any tracks or anything or any moments that stood out. I think what it did was it really, it really enhanced what I think the creative team behind this movie was trying to do, which is call back to those old monster movies with that, dramatic score intermit but when you intermix it with this movie that's comedic in nature it's uh i don't know it's it sort of enhances that because you're sort of in this dual mentality of going i'm hearing scary music but i'm kind of laughing on the inside because this person's about to trip down some stairs and i think the the dissonance between that or the or the juxtaposition between those two types of things made the made the soundtrack work for me the music is just as two-faced as the rest of the film is where it can be <laughs> very serious at some times and can be very silly at other times mm -hmm. uh, so there's really only two 
things that I want to talk about as far as the score goes. The first is that opening theme as everybody is driving up and Wadsworth is arriving and it's real dark and creepy. Um, and then the the actual melody is played on like this silly sounding synthesizer. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's got a bit of darkness and creepiness to it, but then it's kind of silly in the instrumentation. And it's like that throughout the whole film where you've got dark and creepy, you've got light and silly. And the the explanation music when everybody's running back and forth and it's all light and it's just bouncy and fun and yeah, it it it's such a great contrast to that dark and scary stuff and it's completely synced with Wadsworth action too. Like he mentions, Yvette greeted somebody with a smile and he smiles and we get a ding in the music and then. Uh, when Wadsworth says, and then there was a crash of lightning and he does the sound effect and the music does the sound effect with him. It's so well scored. And like, that's the best scored scene in the movie because the music is so synced up with everything that Wadsworth is saying and doing running back and forth. And let's run to this, let's run from this room to this room. And so they have the, the running music and then it's just sort of back bouncing in the background. And then Wadsworth does something it hops in with a little extra sound effect. It, it's it's just really great piece of uh, film scoring in how it accompanies that scene. Well, and I totally agree. I think it's really, it really shines in the explanation scene, particularly with lining up with the choreography. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. It's musical choreography and being mm-hmm. able to adapt and move and, and, and almost adapt specifically to Wadsworth's movements and his facial expressions and all that. Um, I don't, I wish I knew the the process on how the um, how the score was actually composed. If he was watching the movie play out, uh, which I think I, in, in the past when I've seen documentaries, that's how composers do that. They're watching the movie and they're sort of composing as they're watching a scene play out. If that's the case, I've got to imagine that he's looking at this and going, "Wow, he's going too fast," or "Oh wait, he just moved here. He just moved there. Okay, what can I do that? You know, how can I make that work?" and I'd love to have been in that room with his creative process to see kind of how he came up with those individual notes to kind of amplify Wadsworth's movements and his facial expressions um, and and putting in a few, you know, those sound effects here and there. Yeah, La La Land Records uh, released the score on CD a few years mm-hmm. back. I, I'd really love to get a hand on that just because I think it'd be a fun listen, uh, imagining the film as I listen. Now, Definitely. Let's move on to our relevance section. Uh, my number one takeaway is that communism is a red herring. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, and in uh, all seriousness, I mean in all lack of seriousness, this is a comedy. There's not really any big in-depth lessons to take away from this movie. And so what we typically do with comedies is we just read some of our favorite jokes back and forth so how about you start us <laughs> off patrick what, what's one of your favorite jokes um or funny moments what am i yeah i think it's the sequence between wadsworth and miss scarlet talking of using math to talk about how many try to figure out how many bullets are in the gun <laughs> and you know wadsworth goes the game's up scarlet there are no more bullets left in that gun and she's like oh come on you don't think i'm gonna fall for that old trick he goes it's not a trick there was one shot at mr body and, this, and then he starts explaining and he goes that's six one plus two plus two plus one. And she goes, uh-uh, there was only one shot in that singular. That's one plus one plus one plus two plus one plus one. He goes, even if you were right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one. And she's like, okay, fine. <laughs> <I> said, Shut <laughs> up. The point is there's one bullet left in this gun and guess who's going to get it. And then it 
plays out. But I think that really kind of personifies a lot of the the back and forth semantic jokes that are played that Wadsworth really leads leads in. Um, and that one is because later on it comes back to Biden and goes one plus one plus two plus one. That's like, Oh, and then he gets the realization about the, about the bullets. But I think those semantic jokes are really what make me laugh more than anything. It's just going back and forth and trying to, it's kind of like the who's on first um, comedy sketch that, that is very much a classic. And I think it, it's kind of paid homage to in some of the dialogue here. And in particularly that one. I really like that scene. There's another similar one where Wadsworth and Colonel Mustard are going at it, where Colonel Mustard's trying to figure out if there's anybody else in the house aside from the cook and Yvette. And so he says, am I correct to, in assuming that there is nobody left in this house? And Wadsworth <laughs> says, no. And <laughs> Colonel Mustard says, no, there's nobody else in the house or yes. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. And Wadsworth says, I, oh, sorry, I meant no meaning yes. No meaning yes. And it just goes back and forth for like two minutes. <laughs> right. And uh, it finally gets to the point where Colonel Mustard finally asks the question, is there anybody in this house? Yes or no? And everybody has gotten it at this point. Remember, Colonel Mustard's a little slow. Everybody right. shouts at him, no. <laughs> uh, so there's that similar one. <laughs> Uh, there's another catchphrase all the way throughout where somebody would say to make a long story short and everybody else responds too late too late because <laughs> that 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 final explanation scene with wadsworth is a good 10 minutes long honestly <laughs> um it's it's uh and then another uh then when Colonel Mustard decides to split everybody up, he says, it's it's our best course of action. We only have 30 minutes until the cops arrive. Let's split up. And uh, Miss Peacock is concerned about somebody being with the murderer. And he says, well, good. Then we will know that that person is the murderer. We'll figure out who the murderer is. He says, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Any cook will tell you that. And Miss Peacock responds, but look what happened <laughs> to the cook. To the cook. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. There are so many little lines that are just dry in this. And one of them is just really, it's between, um, I think it's Colonel Mustard and Miss Peacock. And he goes, uh, just checking. And she goes, everything all right? He goes, yep, two corpses. Everything's fine. I mean, just like, this is the night they're having. <laughs> you know, there are just dead bodies everywhere. And, and just how by the end of the night, they're really just going, I guess this is normal now. We're just going to be hanging out with, just random corpuses in different rooms. Um, another line was when I think it was when the cop shows up and he says, can I use your phone? And Wadsworth goes, yes, you can use the, uh, no, uh, you can use the one in the, no. And cause, and we're going as an audience, we're going through that whole scenario. With like, <laughs> Nope, there's a dead person in there. There's a dead person. Because how about you wait in the hall real quick? And so it's like, we're just trying to stuff potential dead bodies all over the house. And, uh, I just love how Wadsworth is just so dry about it. Like, Hmm, what can I do? I mean, there are dead people all over and he's just very like, matter of fact, like we're, you know, hiding your, you got like old furniture that you've got stored everywhere and you're running out of room. And it just speaks to the, the overall dry tone of the whole movie. And in that same scene, Wadsworth says to the cop, help yourself to a drink if you want. Not the cognac, just in case. <laughs> just, just in case, case of what? <laughs> and he closes the door. <laughs> um, 
it, speaking to the dryness again, they don't say this is getting serious until after six murders have been committed. It's just oh, like no, so yeah, nonchalant sure. <laughs> at that point. Like, oh, there's another one. Um, um, let's see if there's any more uh, that I want to mention. Um, er, another recurring line throughout the three alternate end or the three endings is where one character will say, there's still one thing I don't understand. And somebody else will respond, one thing? Like, this is a mess. How is there only one thing that you don't understand? How you not get that? And then in the second ending, this is my favorite part of the second ending where Mrs. Peacock did it all. Uh, Tim Kurt, or Wadsworth says, we're like the Mounties. We always get our man. And Mr. Green says, Mrs. Peacock was a man? And everybody <laughs> take turns slapping him. <laughs> So good. So good. Uh, the one redeeming quality of that ending right there. <laughs> yeah. Any more that you want to mention, Pat? I, I was, you know, I'm just going to call back attention to this one in, in its context. Wadsworth says to Mrs. White, you were jealous that your husband was schlepping Yvette. That's why you killed him too. Yes. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, the flames flames on on the side of my face breathing br breathing heavy breath heavy he heathing and then she just, i'll never forget and then, that then, uh, wadsworth just ignores her and continues on with his just explanation continues, just is just going on <laughs> that, so good yeah so good and i think there's no better way to end this than with i'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife <laughs> <laughs> perfect and with that, that is the end of the official 61st episode of Cinescope. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Patrick. It was so good to be on. I'm so glad we get to talk about this movie. Me too. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast and at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. That's a big help in listenership. And email any feedback or ideas you may have to thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And you can use that also if you're interested in co-hosting. If you have a movie that you want to talk about, let me know and we'll get you on the schedule sometime. Patrick, where can people find you and your podcasting online? Well, you can find a lot of information about Feel and Film at our website. We're at feelandfilm.com. We have all of our episodes, minisodes, some writing from our contributors, uh, reviews, all that kind of good stuff. If you want to talk to me specifically, you can find me at the big three social media places, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I am at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I also have a website that houses uh, some of my writing, photography, just other things that I uh, use as creative expression. Uh, that's at thisispatch.com. Okay. The best place for me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget about my other podcast, An American Workplace, which is an office rewatch podcast. That's NBC's The Office, starring Steve Carell. And you can find that where podcasts can be found and at our website, workplacepodcast.com. And all of these show notes, all of my contact and Patrick's contact information can be found at this show's website, thecinescopepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Once again, Patrick, thank you for coming to talk about one of my favorite comedies tonight. Thank you, Chad. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 61. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 62. 
have fun and celebrate movies. Thank you.